Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode 493. It's down there, in the darkness, in the pipeline, waiting. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Mr. Oak. And this is Mr. Quill. He's a silent chap. I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. How are you guys doing? I'm a little creeped out now. (laughs) You didn't know I had Oak and Quill here with me? I did not. Who were the two? I, I meant to look this up, and I could not remember. I know you'll know this, Glenn. Who were the two guys in uh, Diamonds Are Forever? Oh, I knew you'd ask me that. Um... <laughs> okay, it wasn't just me then. If you knew I was going to ask, <laughs> that's, that's who they reminded me of. I'll just yeah, leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, it'll come to me here. Hang on. Mr. Kid was one of them. Mr. Kid, Mr. Mr. Went, Mr. Went and Mr. Kid. That's what Mr. Went. Yeah. Did you guys do anything fun this week? We celebrated Mother's Day yesterday with my mom and my sister and my wife, Holly. Well, and the rest of my family, too, was there, but uh, they were the three we were celebrating. And we just went over and had uh, cookout and played some games in the afternoon. It was a lot of fun. That sounds like fun. We also celebrated... Spent some time with my mother on Saturday, and the kids and I made Sarah breakfast in bed on Sunday. Oh, the Aww. traditional Mother's Day fair. Yeah. I'm sure the kids were a lot of help with making the breakfast. Oh, yes. Gemma's <laughs> very big into helping right now. Oh. She wants to help me do everything in the oh. kitchen. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. She does a pretty good job most of oh, the time. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. There are pluses and minuses sometimes. Right now, it's still fairly equal. I mean, <laughs> I don't get to do as as much in the kitchen as I normally do, and can't multitask as well. But at least it's not, you know, she's making a huge mess, so it kind of balances itself out. <laughs> Sean, did you guys celebrate? We did. We had uh, a fairly low key, um, non stressful day that kind of turned into a stressful day but you know we, 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 we weathered it i'm sorry to hear we i cooked all of the meals for mel that was a terrible taxing thing for me <laughs> let me tell you um you know it's, it's just uh when, when you when you do uh pancakes and then mac and cheese and then grilled cheese sandwiches that's just pretty much the limit of my culinary expertise right there <laughs> but she got them Gosh darn it. You make a mean three to one dip, so I do make a mean three to one dip. She didn't request that, so <laughs> Um Did you guys watch anything? Have you guys caught up on uh well not caught up because I haven't watched Friday's episode, but have you have you both of you seen at least the first episode of the Bad Batch? Yes. No. Oh, for crying no. out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't got around to it. Just haven't had the time. Well, I can understand. The weather's been too nice for the most part. Yeah, kids want the kids want to be outside. Yeah. All right, I can understand that. Uh, I didn't watch. I watched. uh, We watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy as part of our watch watch along, and then I watched. uh, Hadn't seen this in years. This was an HBO staple for me. Used to watch all the time. 
uh, Caveman, starring Ringo Starr and Shelley Long. And I had completely forgot that Dennis Quaid was in that. Completely, very young Dennis Quaid. Very young Dennis Quaid. But, you know, it's, it's funny. It's it's a lot of stuff that I remember now as a kid not getting and now getting. <laughs> some, <laughs> especially some of the more adult innuendos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it still holds up. It's still a pretty funny film and, and, and pretty enjoyable. So, Sean, do you watch anything? We uh, started our rewatch of the Fast and the Furious movies, um, which is kind of sort of only a rewatch in name because I think of the eight that are out now, I think I've seen three of them. <laughs> in fact, I was quite surprised when we were at the theater and saw the trailer. I think it was for the sixth one. I turned to Mel and I said, "Did they? When did they make four and five? Like I, <laughs> I was really out of the loop on those." Um, so wait, so you've seen one, two, and three? No, I've seen one, six, and seven. Oh, oh, gosh! <laughs> and apparently, part of two. Okay, uh, which we watched one and two this weekend. Oh, okay, because so. I saw one, two, and three, and then I, because I was doing a rewatch before six came out. <laughs> And I or not a rewatch. I was watching a watch through because I had never seen them before, and I thought, oh, are these anything worth it? And I watched the first one, and I well, that was actually kind of fun. And then I watched the second one, and I thought, well, that's not too bad either. Then I watched the third one and went, I'm super lost. Where is this franchise even going? And then, and until what's his name shows up at the end, and then I went, okay, this must be the connector. And then I was gonna go on, and I've never have. And two more, actually, actually, technically, two and a half films have come out since then. And, I still haven't watched them. It's interesting because uh, apparently uh, the third one, Tokyo Drift, a lot of people had that reaction to it. <laughs> so, so they kind of went back to formula with four and, and five and then tried to retcon Tokyo Drift in that it happens at the end of Fast and the Furious 6. Oh, at the end of 6? Yeah, so oh, you, wow. you can watch 1, 2... Four, five, six, and then you stop six right before you get to the end, and you go watch Tokyo Drift, and then you come back to six, which sets up seven. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> which I guess works perfectly well for the plot, but the cell phones used in the third film are right out of time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense then. I also found out something interesting. Uh, uh, James Wan, the director uh, who did several of the Fast and the Furious films in the in the later run, and then also went and directed uh, my favorite of the new Star Trek films, Star Trek Beyond. Uh, apparently his first big film was called Better Luck Tomorrow, I think is the name of it. Uh, and it's the it stars the actor, I can't think of his name now, who plays Han, who then is kind of the, the featured star of Tokyo Drift. And so they just brought the actor and the character over from this other movie when they did Tokyo Drift. So Better Luck Tomorrow is considered a... Oh, so the character carries over, not just the yeah. actor coming over. And yeah, playing. it's, it's oh. the same character, and so it's kind of considered his origin story and retroactively is now part of the Fast and the Furious franchise, but yet not a Fast and the Furious film. Huh, I'll be darned. <laughs> so there's... So uh, we think we might actually watch that one next. So there are four, <laughs> there are four and two half films that I haven't watched, so... <laughs> And Hobbs and Shaw. Have you well, seen that's, that one? that's what I was counting as a half film. Well, that's what my half film, but it, even though it's not really a half film, but it's not, you know, it's it's kind of a offshoot. So, well, now, you, yeah. well, I don't, I pro, I'm not going to make it now. I was going to try and finish him before <laughs> nine, but I, I can't do it now. It's, there's just too many films in the franchise now. Well, two of them you don't need to watch. <laughs> you watch anything Officially. else? 
Uh, no, pretty pretty low key this uh, this week. Case, did you watch anything? We did not. Wow. Well, I guess we'll just. Move I guess on. I introduced Shy to the the live action Scooby Doo movie. <laughs> oh, you did. What did she think of that? The James Gunn one. Yeah, she was uh, she was adamant. I don't want to watch this, Papa. I don't want to watch this, Papa, because it's you know people. It's not a cartoon. Right, I don't right. want to watch this, Papa. And it started, and she was hooked. <laughs> just couldn't take her eyes off of it. Um, and I'd forgotten how cute it is. I, I, there's a lot that they do in that one that I don't agree with. Like I, I, I don't like the portrayal of Fred and uh, Daphne, but Velma and, and uh, Shaggy they got spot on. Mm. So, mm-hmm. but she loved it. So we're we're kind of gearing up now for the second one because she wants to keep going. I don't know if I ever saw the second one. I don't know that I did either. I don't know that I have either. <laughs> I, I wasn't as enamored by the first one as everybody was. I thought it was kind of meh. Um, I, I, I do think the finale makes it completely worth it. The big reveal at the end was just <laughs> amazing. But uh, besides that, it just, I, I don't know, it just kind of fizzled for me. So I think that's why I wasn't so excited to see the second one, especially since the second one went against the more realistic approach that the first one took. Somewhat realistic yeah. approach the first one took. <laughs> With all those really badly rendered CGI demons. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to give a shout-out this week, another podcast shout-out, because I did listen to um, a couple of episodes of to- Toby Hadok's, uh Time Travels, uh, which is actually, it's one podcast stream, but it's four different podcasts from, from Toby Hadok. And uh, they are broken down into happy times and places, which I believe is episode commentaries. And he's he asks friends to basically give him uh, stories that they aren't particularly fond of. And he does a commentary and looks for all of the positives in it in order to try to convince somebody why, uh, you know, the, the particular episodes are good. Um, and then he does another, uh, one on there again, this is all, I think they're, I think they're broke out in seasons is what they are. So like one season is happy times and places. Uh, the ones that I started because I didn't want to get too heavy into the, um, commentaries was indefinable magic, which are pretty much just kind of, uh, ramblings, which sort of remind hit me more of his audiobook. Uh, I'm sorry, Moths Ate My Doctor Who Scarf. And they're just kind of, he picks a topic and just kind of muses about it. Um, and I've listened to the first four episodes of that, and that was that was a lot of fun. Can you make sure to include that in the show notes this week? I will do that. I forgot to do that for the uh, uh, Video Junkyard podcast last week. All right, well, we're here to talk about... Um, Fury of the Deep, the animated uh, DVD that uh, recently came out in the U.S. only just a few months ago. I think it's been out in the U.K. since last year, but uh, it's the new animated version of the story, which is entirely missing. There is no, there are just a few fragments of film existing of this, but uh, it's all been animated. And I think this might be the first story that is completely animated, or was maybe Power of the Daleks. Power, power, power of the, power the Daleks. Daleks might have been missing entirely as well. I, could, I wasn't for I sure. I think it was. Yeah. Because it's all six pieces of it were animated. Well, of course, they would have animated them even if there Yeah, they, they animate all of them anyway, but I, I had wondered if maybe there was one existing episode of that. I don't believe there is, but... Keith, do you have a synopsis? 
I do Fury from the Deep. The TARDIS brings the Doctor, Victoria, and Jamie to the coast of Kent, England, where the ESGO complex is drawing up natural gas under the North Sea via a huge network of pipes linked to their offshore rigs. But the Doctor is convinced he can hear something in the pipes, a heartbeat, something alive? Others at the complex have heard it too, and one by one, contact with the rigs is being lost. But Chief Robson will have none of it, and work will continue. And so it does, until sentient, aggressive seaweed begins attacking the base and taking over the personnel one by one. Creating a spearhead from which it will launch its attack and enslave the entire human race. Can the doctor discover a way to stop the seaweed advancing? Or does the only real chance of success lie with Victoria? And if it does, can a way be found to utilize that without harming one of the doctor's very best friends? Are you done? I'm done. <laughs> bum, was, bum, bum. That was a long synopsis. That was a summary. <laughs> That's the back of the DVD. <laughs> that was a summary. That was not a synopsis. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a bum, bum, bum on this one, too. I I, I, yeah. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this story. Now, my I, I came to this knowing this story pretty well, and part of the reason that is because I listened to the uh, Linky narration audio of this on my way to Wichita, uh, I think it was Time Eddie 1, was it the first Time Eddie, that uh, Victor Pimbleton, um, um, Deborah Watling, and Fraser Hines were at. And knowing that we would be talking to those three and, and doing an interview on stage with them, uh, I wanted to be familiar enough with this story. And so I actually listened to the audio for this. I have never watched the reconstruction for it, but I, have it, I was at least familiar enough with the story, so... And knowing that obviously that Deborah, this was Deborah Watling's last story that uh, Victoria leaves in this episode, so I had some familiarity. But you guys came to this new, right? Neither one of you guys had been exposed to this yet. Uh, this no, was brand new for me. What'd you guys think? It's good. It's it's a very tense, very atmospheric, very creepy story, and I don't think the. As much as I love the second Doctor's era, that's not really something I attribute to it is creepy. So the fact that they were able to pull it off, I think is really impressive. Agreed. This is uh, uh, kind of building off of our base under siege discussion. Um, but <laughs> This it, checks all those boxes. Yeah, it does. And I, I was really taken back at um, how effectively creepy it was. It was very, very atmospheric. And I can see what this, this is a, uh, a prime candidate for animation now that i've seen it because it's all you know foam and tentacles and monster and yeah okay it's it's well there's, there's a lot of talking heads in it but there's just when the monster shows up it's a it's an effective use of that uh, medium and something that really struck me as it went on was kind of how much dna this story shares or would would later donate to in a way uh to uh seeds of doom yeah, it's absolutely. kind of very crinoid. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I have to wonder though if some of the the dark creepiness of this is helped along by the animation of this, and I wonder if had we had we had this story survived and we were able to see it in its actual natural state, I wonder if we would consider it as dark and creepy because i think the effect and and i watched the behind the scenes so i've got a little insight to that 
they did take a lot of liberties on this one. And, and we know as they've been doing the, these uh, animated, the uh, animation companies that they've hired have been allowed to, to you know, broaden their uh, scope and not have to stick so much to the uh, maybe the, the telesnap uh, representations or how things might have actually been framed based on a shooting script. They've been given free liberty to sort of broaden out. And I think a lot of the... I think texturing visually of this adds to that. I think that the story generally does have a creep factor. It probably existed, but I wonder how much more of that is influenced by the the more vast claustrophobic or dark shots that they were able to do uh, with the animation, um, putting some of the different light layers over it, uh, giving it that red hue that kind of gave it more of a foreboding look. Um, I have to wonder how much of that, which, which to its credit, that gives it, even if that is lending to the creep factor of this, that's a bonus in itself because it makes this animation for me, one of the most enjoyable of all of the animated stories that are out there. And I think because of the some of the liberties they took with this, um, when I look at some of the screen captures, because I did manage to get, I did, I watched this in uh, color, and I watched one episode in black and white uh, that was animated, and then I went and I watched uh, pieces of the reconstruction on this set of discs, and I noticed a lot after watching the behind the scenes and them talking about how they had not really kind of stuck to a lot of. They used the telesnaps for. Uh, reference for like what sets looked like what people looked like things like that but they they kind of got away from it from the different shots and angles and things like that and showing looking at it and seeing how strikingly different parts of it were again i think maybe if we had seen this as it naturally was it may not it may have come off maybe a little i don't want to say comical but it would have maybe not come across yeah it wouldn't have come across as serious as it does in this particular Mm. incarnation I started watching it in color, and then because it was such a drab, dark saturation, I just switched over to the black and white, and I thought the, it worked perfectly as the black and white aspect of it. It does. They talked about also in the special, and I didn't realize this until I was looking back at the uh, dark, black and white, they put a kind of almost a dark bluish hue over it. And he said the reason they did that is because back in the day, black and white, uh, shows were often shown on cl- color screens. And so a lot of times, even if you were watching a black and white, it would have sort of a tint to it anyway. And so mm-hmm. they were trying to capture that mood. You know, it's, you bring up an interesting point, Glenn, with, you know, would we have thought the same? And I think there's an interesting experiment to be had here. If you could get the money together, and of course you'll never get the BBC to sign off on that because, well, there's money involved. But... By taking some of these missing stories and doing them animated, that makes perfect sense because at least now we're able to view them since we have the soundtracks, and I'm totally on board with that. But in a case of something like this where what you had previously may not have been as effective as what the finished product is now, could you go the reverse? Could you take an episode that is complete and animate it? and change the tone of it, something comical like, oh, Creature from the Pit, and suddenly make it into a much more effective, tonally, maybe what they were going for. Because there's, you know, we, we've all heard the stories, there's so many Doctor Who episodes that are let down by the effects budget. And I, I go back to Macro Terror as one that, you know, I think in live action, I don't think the giant crab would be quite as 
menacing mm -hmm. as what they were able to give us with, with an animated version. Right. Right. No, so it's, I, it's just kind of an interesting idea. You're, you're right. I, I think that that would be an interesting experiment to do because you could, you, you certainly have more freedom with your, the imagination on how things are, uh, uh, you know, shot. The budget is, is better because it, you know, all you have to do is animate it and draw it. You don't necessarily have to bring in live props and things like that. So I, I could see that that, that might be effective. Now I, I should just, slightly correct you you mean unintentionally funny unintentionally funny yes yeah, okay. yeah. because something like shada i don't think i mean there there is there are intentional there's intentional humor in that there's intentional right. humor in uh city of death um and no that, I, I specifically mean ones where we, we feel their fandom feels that the effects may let down what's supposed to be menacing becomes comical because it's not menacing okay okay like warriors from the deep <laughs> well and i don't even think warriors of the deep comes across comical even or unintentionally comical it just it suffers from over lighting <laughs> we're, yeah, able, we're able to we're able to see too many of the seams <laughs> we're almost you know we're too we're uh, we're unable to see too much of the murka yeah but you animate it and make it a dark and dreary setting like this and the whole complete tone changes yeah absolutely i would agree well, let's talk a little bit about the story too i mean it's it's uh there are times where i feel like this could have been probably a four uh, episode story um i know doctor who in the day was you know the 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 pacing and things was a lot different especially since they were you know trying to fill a production schedule um, for or or a, or a episode schedule out for so many weeks, but I think this one could have been one of the ones that I think there were a lot of places that I don't know that any one particular episode could have been cut, but I know there was a lot of trimming that could have been done in episodes where I think there were a lot of repetitious things happening. Um, the the one guy's concern over his wife, which although merit merited, was frequently repeated and was frequently I, there was almost too much of a we were trying to manufacture um a little more tension between and i'm my the names of these people but the the main guy that was running the base the guy with the the shock of white hair on, on the top and the sides and then, yes and then the scientist guy uh richardson is that would i have that one right uh, I'm not sure on that one. Anyway, um, so it seems like they were trying to manufacture some tensions so that they would continue to do that where they would have the same arguments or at least the same type of arguments that I felt were unnecessary because there were enough points where I felt that the friction was there and we didn't need to kind of drive it home where we did. Um, some of the other things that I thought, and maybe it was because it doesn't translate into the animation and so the animators feel like they have to pull the scene out a little bit more because there's just a lot of dead audio and i appreciate the fact that the animators went to the extent of being able to fill those scenes but there are a lot of points where i felt like there might have been a lot of uh there might have been a little too much you know emphasis on the physical drama of something happening in that scene when they actually i'm talking about when they actually shot this that probably could have and maybe that lent to the suspense and creepiness back then of of what they were trying to achieve but it seemed like there were a lot of parts where there was 
didn't sound like there was a lot going on and the animation seemed like it was trying to force itself to find something to be happening. Now, a lot of that comes from we don't know what the original vision was or what was happening at the time, but it, sur it sure felt like both on my audio listened through and my watch through this time that there were just pieces of that kind of stuff that could have been trimmed up a bit. I could see some of that. I, there were, seemed to be a lot of, you know, debates of oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do this. No, you shouldn't do that. I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna, oh no, you shouldn't do that. I worry about that. And then they just let him go do it. <laughs> right, right. And so it's like unneeded dialogue. To kind that, of that's kind of what I meant. That's what, and that's sort of what I meant between uh, Robson and the the main scientist guy. Uh, was it was those kind of things that felt very repetitious because well you're just gonna let him go do it anyway so just let him go do it yeah well and he, even like the guy going down into the tunnel then letting harris harris the, the, that was the other guy yeah uh even like when Van Linton's goes down into the tunnel and the doctor is like, well, I don't think you're going to do, you should do this. Yeah, that's, is this a good idea? And they go on for like five minutes and he just goes and does it anyway. It's kind of yeah. like, okay, then why bother having that debate? But it's also, you know, that's, they had, they did have to fill the time and they, they can, it helps kind of pace the story out along. And I think it does a good job in its pacing where while some sections are a little spread out, there's not any one, whole episode that I could go, oh yeah, you could just drop this and wouldn't have any impact. It, the mystery just slowly starts to unravel and uh, become apparent as the story just kind of works its way through. And I think it, it works well on that aspect of it. Yeah, agreed. I think the, um, the tension between the two I thought was fairly well established off the bat. And I, I agree there were certain things that kind of went back and forth a little too much. Um, I, I'm sorry, once... Once the wife gets sick, it's kind of like, dude, I'm not coming back in. Right, right. <laughs> you know, she, she, she's not like got a fever. She's not home with the, with the sniffles. She, she was attacked by something, taking her to the hospital. And then he, keep, he kept blaming her. It was like, dude, what is wrong with you? And I've got to be honest. I was a little bit shocked and a little bit, like, terrified because they, they kind of plant that seed, if you will, that they're going to kill this woman off. And then the doctor and, and Jamie and Victoria come back to the house, and in the bedroom is this big pile of foam and seaweed. And, and I was quite, oh, I mean, I, I, was, I, was really, I was really taken aback by that. Now, you know, she wasn't there. But I, I thought maybe they, they had pulled a crinoid and were going to, you know, transform. It's one thing when with, with a crinoid, you know, to transform this guy who maybe he was the reluctant bad guy, but he was still a bad guy. He's still down there. I mean, he was trying to be Scorby's conscious and we all know how that was going to turn out. But it's one thing to turn the bad guy into a monster. This woman didn't deserve that. That's, that's <laughs> horrifying. That's one of those, this character did not deserve that outcome kind of things. Well, and I, I really kind of was shocked that they did this all the way back then. Yeah, I was going to say, she, she and a lot of people were, for all intents and purposes, transformed into monsters. Now, fortunately, they, they were, it was a reversible process when the, when the uh, uh, screams or the resolution of the scream, you know, is, <laughs> is, is planted in the, the, the brain center of this. And it, that's what ends up destroying it, but everybody being okay, which, you know, this is the, this is probably the, f f as far as I can tell, the first everybody lives Doctor Who story, because yeah, there's true. nobody on this that, that dies, that bites it. Every, everybody comes back. 
everybody, right. yeah, everybody's is I, as far as I could tell, everybody survived. So, which was re- kind of reassuring as well. My, on the 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 point that you're talking about, it, it's interesting because I went into this was even before I had listened to uh, this. <laughs> I knew that Victoria's character through reading other things stayed with the Harrises. And so I was aware of that. So when I listened to the audio, I knew that was coming. And now that I've gone back and watched this, it wasn't apparent enough from the audio that Maggie Harris had not only been, uh, I mean, she she's attacked. You can tell she's attacked in the audio, but you have no idea that she's dragged away. You have no idea that she's transforming and she wanders into the sea. And so I'm watching this and I'm going, are they taking a different approach with this? I know that she <laughs> she survives because that's who Victoria stays with, her and her husband. And I'm I, so this whole time I'm watching this going, this is different than I thought. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to say for being able to watch this as opposed to listen to it, because that is one storyline that I had completely missed the fact that she they went as far with her character as her being uh, taken away and 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 somewhat transformed i thought uh they did a really good job victor pemberton did with you know laying on the groundwork of victoria's departure I mean, her early on in the episode bemoaning kind of the fact that you know why can't we go someplace nice or i was going to earth stuff like that and he really it didn't feel abrupt of a departure at all like it could have and has in the past yeah he's definitely yeah. It, it, it's it's handled well in this story um it's not a shock but it, it I, in fact i think it makes it even more emotional at the end that he spent some time building us up to that moment and yeah. it's more effective in that way you know rather than well Ben and Polly, we're going to stay here by, you know, or, hey, we're back in our own time, but, you know, by Ian and, and, and uh, Barbara even. Um, they, they have a little bit of, of more of a moment. And, of course, you know, Su- Susan even has a little more of a moment. But this one really feels like it's developed over the course of a story and isn't dropped at us at the very end. Yeah, it's well, that, not a last-minute thing. That and the fact that they stick around for a day to make sure that's what she really wants to do. And, yeah. you know, Jamie's reaction to her leaving is what makes it even more poignant and has a makes it have a better impact. I felt genuinely bad for Jamie. I did, yeah. too. Twice, and, actually. And I think he something... He thought she was dead. <laughs> that was yeah, kind of a... Yeah. Aw. <laughs> well, I think something that's never really come across to me until i watched this is i really kind of get the impression that that jamie sort of had a thing for victoria i think that that had they spent more time together beyond this i think a romance might have even blossomed i don't think we get that i don't think we get that so much from the stories but after seeing this in hindsight when you look back there's nothing that you know there's no hanky panky going on there's no love relationship going on but there's really this kind of bonding that does happen over the course of them to the point where in this one you really do feel like oh he i think he was really smitten with her and it wasn't so much even losing a friend it was losing somebody that he very much cared for and so i think that worked on a certain level as well yeah. i agree i i saw some of that even in enemy of the world enemy of the, oh yeah 
Yeah, I think, two, I think two stories right. I think, previously. I think I think there was some there. All right, there's not enough time for that in uh, Web of Fear, but there was those moments in in uh, Enemy. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So it's it's lots of credit to him that they could even if it wasn't maybe I don't know if it was how much of it was written in and how much of it was just how well Fraser Hines and Deborah Watling got on that it yeah. kind of seeped into the performances. Well, and we know from our interviews with him at Time Eddie that they were all very, very close. They they, they talked yeah. about how very close and how very upset uh, Patrick was that Victoria that, that Deborah was leaving. Um, he and I think it, if I remember that right, he it, it hit him pretty hard that she was leaving because they all got on so well. I believe you're right. Um, I think that the animation style in this particular uh, version of, of an animated story is better too. I think that they they've perpetually gotten better each time, and I think we've we've made reference to the fact that we've we've really enjoyed how they're animating these as compared to some of the ones in, in years past. And that this the 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 recent stretch has been even if it's different companies, been it's been somewhat consistent. Um, I think that the the uh, I think the way they've captured the actors in this one is the best so far. Uh, I remember us talking about how well the facial features and the expressions came across in uh, the faceless ones. I think it's even more so in this one. I think uh, Patrick yeah. Troughton's character emotes so much more in his face in this one than he did. Uh, uh, Fraser Hines especially. Jamie, especially in this one, has a lot more better, uh, a lot better, you know, facial expression through the animation in this one. But the one thing that did bother me in this, and I don't know if this, you guys even picked up on this, and it, it just may be something that I saw that even wasn't there, but their arm, their forearms were always far too long. No one has forearms that are longer than your, well, yeah, they are, but no one has forearms that long. And I think sometimes that was a misjudgment on their part, but I think that was the only thing that I could pick apart as far as the art and animation goes. I, that didn't even bother me, or I, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I didn't say something before you saw it, because I don't think you could have missed it after that. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely spent a lot more time focusing on the faces in this story as opposed to the bodies. I mean, the bodies still kind of move like the the marionette stick figures, mm -hmm. but the face animation was a lot better. Oh, and they, nobody can still run because the running still <laughs> still haven't got that down. <laughs> that's nitpicky. It is. I'll nitpicky. say it. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely nitpicky, and that's why I say that's the, the worst I can say about that is the fact that the arms were too long. Everything else about it was a gem. Everything else about it was fantastic. I, I so enjoyed it. Um, I also appreciated, and they talked about a little bit of this in the behind the scenes as well. I really appreciated that the scene with Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill and Maggie Harris, that was one of the few things in there that they, they made sure that they captured because that is one piece of uh, surviving film that fans have always been fans of uh fans have always liked that and that's always been kind of a, a prized possession of doctor who fandom is that we have that clip and how really intense and interesting that is so for them to pretty much storyboard and mimic 
not not exactly, but but very much do that in the same way that the surviving footage was. I really appreciate that because it it maintains that same sort of um, ickiness of those two characters, which I think comes across in that scene as well. Particularly, yeah, the, uh, uh, particularly Mr. Quill and really his, his them yeah, Mr. Quill and his facial expressions. I think is comes across just as well as creepy as they do in the film. I think they make Mr. Oak even creepier. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, one of the things that I I, I appreciated, I, I feel like I'm dominating the conversation here, guys. But um, one of the things that I really appreciated too, from an animation standpoint, is as I was sitting watching this. And when the doctor, well, first of all, when the doctor's getting ready to go to the uh, oil derricks or the, no, that's not oil derricks, the gas derricks, I thought, or the gas platforms, I thought as they were walking out or as they were driving out there, I was like, they're going to let the doctor and Jamie fly this thing on their own. Okay. Let's see what happens here. And then they get in and they have a pilot. And I thought, oh, okay, well, obviously they're not going to let the doctor fly a helicopter only to have them when they escape have to use the one helicopter to get back because Robson had left one there and their pilot had flown off in fear. And so for them to fly the, the, the helicopter, what well, that was, that was a lot of fun. And yeah. I wondered about, they had all the tentacles coming up and it flying through and, and dodging them. And I thought, gosh, how did they do this in the original story? Only to find out that they didn't. <laughs> that, that this scene was just more of a comical scene in the episode of the doctor not being able to fly and the one pilot having to talk him in. And so that where the animators of this decided to make it a little more harrowing by and make it a little more serious by adding the tentacles and then having to fly through, you know, a, a, a gauntlet, uh, if you would in order to get back and then add to it the, you know, guiding him in. So I was I was kind of glad that they maybe took sort of that liberty to do that because I do think that makes that scene a lot more harrowing as well. Yeah. Well, and it really illustrates why the third Doctor can drive everything because he decided he wasn't going through that again. Right, right. <laughs> he learned it all. <laughs> he might be a quick learner too, though, because, you know, I mean, he, he did managed to get that helicopter in they didn't show us landing it after he asked you know well now i've got the the hang of flying it can you can you help me land it we didn't get to see him actually land it but he is say it is a primitive machine yes yes how, how hard could it be <laughs> <laughs> i was a little uh, shocked that they you know the tardis lands in the the, the surf yeah and they they left it there yeah, we're just going to, all right, we'll get the boat out. And I mean, from a, uh, from a production standpoint, from a time spent in the TARDIS standpoint, you can definitely see how the doctor has gotten better at piloting because they wouldn't bother with that nowadays. They right. would land, you would get the joke that water was pouring into the TARDIS and he would move it. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> but no, back in the day, oh, where are we? On the side of a cliff? All right, get the repelling ropes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess director Hugh David decided, well, if we're going to be out at, out on this you know, beautiful sea, because st- the, the TARDIS originally in the script was supposed to land on the cliff. And he decided, well, if we're going to have it, we're going to 
have this wonderful shot out here. Let's have the TARDIS land on the water. <laughs> so that was actually <laughs> the director's decision to make it more difficult to shoot <laughs> and give them more of a, a difficulty of getting to the, the land, which then they realized, well, if you park it in the water, how do you get to land? Well, an inflatable dinghy, of course. <laughs> Naturally. They also said in that uh, making Bravo, of... Bravo, sir. They, Bravo. Al- they also said in that making of, which I thought was interesting, was that they had hired the dinghy, but they had forgot to get the the uh, the setting that you hook the rigging for the motor onto. They had forgot to get that. So they had the motor, but they couldn't attach it. And so Patrick Troughton, having been, uh, I think he was a sailor at some point, uh, said, well, I'll just row it. And so that's what they ended up doing. And so that's why they are rowing into uh, shore <laughs> is because Patrick knew that he could do it. And they, they, that's what they did. So, well, yeah, he was, you know, on Sinbad. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really thought the, uh, the opening scene of this was pretty cool. You know, besides the landing on water, uh, coming up on the shore and uh, you know, with the foam, there's a lot of fun and kind of some levity before we get into more of the seriousness of this story and the the playfulness of them, you know, kind of, you know, the doctor does the foam on uh, 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 Jamie and then Jamie getting him back and then Victoria laughing and the both of them picking them up. And I didn't realize that that was that was a, a spurred on the spot. Uh, thing that they did that they just happened to capture and they all stayed in character for that also wasn't in the script and and that was something that patrick and and uh uh, frazier had just sort of come up with on the spot but i like that there's that kind of because what it does is it gives you that feeling of of three very good friends three people that get along really well three people that are very close and it also gives us a little bit of that you know that light moment before we get into some more of the 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 more dire heavy scenes of this this story yeah that was a really nice moment and then also makes the end with her departure a little bit more uh heartbreaking does it strengthens that for sure until you, you know, begin to worry that, oh, there's this horrible foam and this, uh, this stuff that's taking over people and, oh God, you were out playing in it. What's going to happen now, guys? Because yeah, I might. Yeah. I kind of got so. the impression that the foam was part of, you know, not just the, whatever it was to hide the seaweed. Cause I even thought that when they went to try to get to the helicopter and the helicopter was covered in foam, I'm like, but aren't they going to get infected by going into that too? Yeah. So I think the actual, about the original, thing. I think you actually had to touch the seaweed part the seaweed of it. Itself, I don't think the foam yeah. counted, even though I think the phone was a byproduct of the seaweed monster. I, I think you, the foam was safe enough, but you, if you touched the, because the first thing that, that gets touched is Maggie Harris touches the, piece that's in the folder that the her book. husband yeah. yeah of her husband's research so i was worried <laughs> <laughs> did we ever really get a good explanation of where the seaweed came from no it the doctor it's has that <laughs> the doctor has that book that talks about the you know the ancient mariners and how they had illustrated these things and i think that the the idea that 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 pemberton was trying to get across was that maybe this is an ancient um an ancient monster, ancient creature that's been around a long time and it's sort of resurfacing. But I I think that was all sort of implied from that because we don't get a real explanation from, of its origins. We just know that it's come from the deep 
and we know that it is is you know attacking this station this this base now that's under siege but i don't know sean did you get any more impression that they gave us more backstory than that nope just sentient seaweed yeah so okay good i didn't miss something but you know i'm okay with that i don't think it needed it so much uh it did feel missing for me but i don't think it was essential yeah i mean every now and then it, it it kind of fell into that well you know if you want to think about it is it alien seaweed is it the, is it that what what is the deal with this stuff and um you didn't get that explanation but at the same time the, you know fury from the depths okay i mean there, there's there's enough mystery in the ocean as it is because we've not explored enough of it that i can accept that well, maybe there's just sentient seaweed down one there you know maybe somebody along the line will retcon this into being a uh uh, a, you know, a sea a, devil, a monster. byproduct of the sea devils. Or well, something. or that. Uh, what was the? Um, uh, was it the grandfather infestation that had the uh, jellyfish type thing that had? It was another thing that w- w- had been around for the oh, the, yeah. the what do you call yeah. it? The uh, something apod. Uh, it, it it had been around for centuries, but hadn't you know uh, uh, until recently hadn't had any sort of connection to anybody. And so maybe this goes in those same annals of these deep sea creatures that we just don't know about. I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, one of the other things that I wanted to point out was the uh, the did you did you feel like the scream effectiveness was telegraphed a little too early in the story? I had figured out yes. that the screen was going to be the key to defeating these by episode two because victoria reacts the one time and it shrinks back and she reacts another time and the guy that's that's letting the gas out in the room that she's in flees and then and this is all in the same episode she screams again at one point no this would be the beginning of the next episode she screams again and the thing retreats into the uh into the piping and so i kind of felt like well you're showing me this in episode two and you're being very heavy-handed with it, you're not planning on surprising me with this is how it's defeated, right? And they go right down to that. So I was a little disappointed with the fact that that was telegraphed a little too early. Is that just me? I did not pick up on that telegraphing, mainly because that's what Victoria does, is scream. (laughs) And the monster typically kind of shies away anyways. You know, that's what happens in the story is... The monster comes up, scares Victoria, Victoria screams, and the monster goes away because, you know, that means people are probably going to come, you know, sometimes. So it didn't telegraph as much to me. And I like the fact that the resolution is because of Victoria's scream, you know, one of the things she's most attributed with becomes the thing that saves the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is kind of a very meta way to end her run. Yeah. You know. <laughs> okay, well, this is what you're known for in the show, so what if we actually make that work for us? Okay. Make, make that part of a plot device. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I thought it was telegraphed, but at the same time, I, I didn't mind so I, much. I didn't like, mind it so right, much cool. either. I just, when we got to the end, I thought, uh, I, I kind of wish you'd held that back a little bit longer, at least not made it so obvious maybe so soon. Um, the other thing also about, I think, giving Victoria some credit too was in the when they go back to the TARDIS to study the seaweed that the that the doctors picked up, 
it seems like he has a very on-par conversation with Victoria because she seems to have a, a very good understanding of what he's talking about. And she kind of... Now, granted, she's from she's a little more modern, obviously, than Jamie is, but she seems to grasp the concepts that the doctor's talking about about this thing and it's sent to NC um, quicker than Jamie does. And she, in fact, has to kind of convey when she says, well, it's, it's as, as alive as you and me. She, it's like she's putting the, the, the layman's terms on it for him and explain it to him. And it almost elevates her to a status of maybe that she's smarter than I think a lot of writers gave her credit for. And I wonder how much of that might have come from what was set up, which we don't know and we haven't seen, Evil of the Daleks, because her father was a, a scientist. Her father was a, was a learned man. And I wonder how much of that influence and knowledge she gained from him that was just kind of wiped away and wasted with her being a, da- a screaming damsel. And Victor Pemberton thought, you know, maybe I'll touch on that a little bit here in order to sort of give Victoria a little bit of a boost as far as, you know, uh, having more to do than just being the damsel in dis- distress. It's very likely. And I liked it. <laughs> I did too. I think we'd be remiss in our, our, uh, our reviewing here if we didn't touch on the first appearance of of the Omni tool mm. to be used as a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, from such humble beginnings. <laughs> yeah, and and it, its only use in this is as, as a screwdriver. <laughs> In fact, I had kind of thought the first time I'd listened to this, I wondered if maybe when they were telegraphing the screen that he was going to use the Sonic in order to oh, amplify yeah. something in order to drive them away. And when that I kept waiting, when it was like, okay, yeah. we've already, you know, you when set that, up the smoking gun. So. Yeah, when that happens, I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. But I think that has to do with the fact that we 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 come from such a. Uh, massive use of that thing now for everything that we sort of almost expect that even in the early days when it was just a tool here was another thing though i picked up from the behind the scenes i think we've given victor pimbleton a lot of credit for for coming up with the sonic screwdriver but to hear them talk in this behind the scenes and maybe victor has caught into this and maybe he said that when we interviewed but and that he didn't take so much credit for it i don't remember exactly what he said but i think one of the things that i took away from this was that was not in the script but they needed a way for the doctor quickly to open that panel and so they said well what would work here oh a sonic screwdriver that would you know or a screwdriver that works with sound that would unscrew all the screws at the same time which is what they show us in the animation at least that all of the screws are turning at the same time and so it sounds like that that was a last minute on the set. We've got to we got to get into this thing. What do we come up with? And that's what they came up with. So I don't know how much we can credit mm-hmm. him. I mean, we can credit him with having the story that it first appears in, but I don't know if we can credit him so much with coming up with the the uh, device itself. But nah, I'm, I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't ask Ed him Cannon. now. You can't ask him now because he's he's passed. So. I think we did ask him, and I, I I think he kind of laughed it off. If I'm I'm, I'm I think you're I, right. Yeah, I have to apologize once again to uh, to our, our our listeners because we do have the the interview uh, with these wonderful people. 
uh, and the audio quality on it is so bad. And yes, I have not forgotten about it. I am still working on trying to uh, salvage uh, this and make it somewhat listenable so that we can we can give this to you. Um, but so far, my efforts have gone to naught. <laughs> but I think um, I think after I seem to remember he, he laughed a little bit about well I haven't been paid for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He did yeah. kind of play it off, didn't he? Oh no! I just I I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was uh, it was effective. It was uh, it was I thought it was well written. I thought it was well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, some some great uh, set location stuff. Uh, you know, down in the in the in the tunnels and the tubes, and the creepy, uh, all, all the things that you want yeah. from a from a good Doctor Who story. And and it it had them all in spades. I was I was quite pleased. From a good um, base under siege story. And another base under siege story. Another good one. Yeah. I'll have to admit, I <laughs> it took me a couple episodes to to realize that that base that they were at was not underwater, and I'll tell you oh. the re- the reason why I thought it was is because every time they would show a wide shot of the complex, there was always this kind of wave over it, and so I thought, oh, it's underwater, and it wasn't until about the third or fourth time that I saw it that I realized. Oh, that's like the smog and the smoke and the you know the the fog around that this this is and and I should have known better because they're all walking around outside at the guard gate you know I didn't even think about that but I oh this must be underwater because I keep seeing all those wavy things in front of it. Let's talk well, about know, it's, it's it's England. It's got to be the Moors, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about the we, we somebody alluded to it at the beginning with the the Roger Delgado Master Wanted poster. In the background, I thought, <laughs> "Oh, I'm going to be real clever. I, I'm going to see if they caught him in uh, on that poster board in the guard shack." That was kind of another nod. Now, granted, they've done that before. In fact, they just did it in the background of uh, uh, the faceless ones. They had the master on a wanted poster in there. I thought, okay, but they they dropped it in here. You know, a little nod to it in here. That's cool. I'm going to ask the guys if they caught that, only to have it like in the main base hangar base of the thing and predominantly show him and it was no question that it was delgado's master and they showed it about two dozen times and i thought all right well if they don't pick up on it by now i I don't know how anybody can miss that (laughs) i i thought it was a wonderful bit and it 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 kind of showcases the oh the timey-wimey nature of the doctor's uh (laughs) earthbound travels that some I, of these things may be happening simultaneously. Uh, see, I think it's just, I think it's simply an Easter egg, although it was too obvious this time, but I think it was too agree, uh, egregious. I think that's why I I have a little bit of an issue of it being there because in the in the background of the the main controller of the airports, uh, no, it wasn't even the main controller, it was the, um, uh, uh, where you check in, where you declare things, what's that called? Um Oh, you know, when you go overseas, customs, it was the customs, customs agent. It was up behind the custom agents on a board. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. There's a nice little Easter egg there. And then it shows up in the guard shack here. And I was like, okay, well that, that's neat. They, they got it in there, but I thought it was just a little too in your face, obvious. <laughs> but, I don't know. I, I think when you, go on it look, a lot. Yeah. when you go back and look at the, the master's um, plans and how many, earthbound important installations that he got into uh you know that if if just depending on what year this was meant to be it's very likely that they'd encountered him once or twice and unit was like okay so anywhere important for 
you know, infrastructure, nuclear power plants, uh, space defense stations, uh, radar. Pl- How about that gas plant up on the, yeah, go send them a poster too. I'm down with that. I have no problem with that. I, I mean, suppose, it totally makes sense in customs because, I su- you know, he's traveling. But. I suppose it depends on when this is set though, too, because if he doesn't encounter the third doctor for the first time, I mean, again, it is a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey, but, and they don't pinpoint when I think these uh, this story is supposed to be taking mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. But I I have to wonder. I mean, I think it's a stretch to think that I, beyond just saying, oh, this is a clever Easter egg. But I can see what you're saying, where if this is the second Doctor in the future from the point where Unit is now familiar with the Master and has been introduced to him and know who he is, sure, maybe I could see them putting posters up. And I guess that makes sense. You made it work for me in my head. Oh, good. <laughs> it's headcanon. It's headcanon now. Because, I mean, the, the second Doctor encounters a lot of these slightly futuristic Earth installations, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not really sure when on Earth he is. Right, right. Well, why not Why why not be a part of that? That the, You know, just two weeks ago, the third Doctor was, was here on the coast chasing down the Master in a hovercraft. And now the second Doctor has arrived. and. Right. Sure, I'll go with that. Although it doesn't work so much with Ben and Polly in the uh, airport because they are only a month out from when they left, and that would have been in the 1960s. So that one doesn't work. <laughs> well, but uh, he was in uh, he, he was in Russia for a long length of time. Yeah, but it was I think it was Delgado's master in that one too. We've had both, and it was, and he wasn't identified as the master when he was in Russia that whole time, so they wouldn't have known of his presence and existence there. So, Nick, oh Nick no, Eaglin. you're right. It was, uh, it was Sasha, it wasn't it? No, it wasn't. I think there was both. I think it was a poster of both of them. Was it two picky points? That picky. And maybe it could have been. I don't remember now for sure. TARDIS yeah. Wiki says the story takes place in 1975. This story? Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. if that's the case. Based off of Gary Russell's commentary on the DVD. Ah, okay. Well, then that works. I did not listen to the commentary. Probably should have. That works, then. That explains why the poster's there. Cool. Anything else on uh, this one? I think I've got to say that Robson's probably one of the best adversaries for a base under siege, you know, boss in charge who's not going to listen and just is dogged in what he's going to do and then, and then gets possessed. He is, the performance and the way he's written, you just kind of hate him from the get-go because yeah, he's so yeah. stubborn and it's such a, so well done. I mean, at the end, the fact that he reverts back and what he's gone through hasn't really changed him. But it has just a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's a very nice little nice little thing at the end for him. You know, I debated on that for a while because my, my my first thought was, wow, could you be any more that guy? You know, you're just we we talked about that that with the, the doctor encounters the the minister who doesn't believe them or the the military guy who uh, is just adamant that that's not how this works, et cetera, et cetera. And here's this guy. I don't care what it takes. We're going to go and do this and we're not going to turn the pumps off. And you just kind of immediately get the sense that, okay, he's in on it, you know, because he's, he's just so determined to not be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I, I enjoyed the the counter with him and and the the other scientist when he says, you know, I've been working these rigs, blah blah blah. I don't need you to tell me how to do my job. And uh, the scientist replies, yes, but I do know how to do mine. Mm-hmm. And I thought that yeah. was a very, you know, he was a lot calmer than I would have been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, he 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 was a, he was a very effective villain. I will say that. I even I enjoyed. I, I agree, and I, th- I in fact I agree one hundred percent with what you guys are saying. And I think he was very effective. There was times where I was very, I felt his stubbornness was a bit exhausting. But I think also that sort of lent to that uh, reason why the, the character's written so well is because he is exhaustingly um, the character that he is. And so I, that works. But on the contrast to that is I think that Harris, the character, was was done very well, too, as a uh, yin and yang for this story, because he is very much so, you know, as 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 Sean pointed out on the other side of that and really the 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 statement that well yes and i know my job too very much so that these both these men are coming from very different places but are both just as equally important in the overall scheme of this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's just a lot of good in this a lot of good in this well i think we have a lot of good coming up sean what's uh, a lot of good stuff coming up on the schedule well coming up on the schedule uh next week we will be reviewing our uh, friends at uh, Pencil Tip Publishing and their book, uh, Sarah Jane Smith, Roving Reporter. And if you joined us last week, we uh, we hinted or alluded, or we didn't hint, we just flat out told you, hey, we're giving a copy of this book away. And uh, how you can do it is to contact us through Facebook or Twitter or, uh, what's our other one? Email. <laughs> Send us a message. Uh, and just give us your uh, your Sarah Jane memory. What's your favorite uh, memory of Sarah Jane? Uh, tell us a story about you and 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 uh, the old thing, as the doctor would say. Uh, and hashtag it with SJS book giveaway, and uh, we will draw a name out of the hat, as it were, to give this tome away. Well, we announced that on the podcast, and uh, then I failed in my duties as a, a contest host to uh, to post those those rules and uh, uh to let everybody know so it has been posted now so what we're going to do is we're going to give you an extra week <laughs> to get a response into us and uh we will draw one next week when we review that lovely book which i'm enjoying so far I haven't finished it yet uh following that we will uh, dive back into the time lord victorious uh story with the last audio adventure to be released echoes of extinction and following that, then we have a, a kind of wrap-up feature with a few odds and ends from the uh, Time Lord Victorious event. And our special guest, Timothy Harvey, will be joining us from Sci-Fi For Me TV and our show Tardis Sauce over there. That's right. And all of that is coming up. Speaking of Tardis Sauce, be sure you check that out. Um, our friends over at Sci-Fi For Me host that, and occasionally Sean and I are on the show. And uh, back in the day, occasionally Keith was on the show before he had little ones and got got too too busy before before a second one came along right right so um but anyway be sure and check that out you can find that on uh, sci-fi for me dot tv uh on their youtube page you can also find links uh to that on our youtube page if you just go to uh youtube slash traveling vortex dot com slash traveling vortex you can find links to that there uh be sure to check out our website for any updates on this podcast 
And if you get any value out of the podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by clicking on our patron link and consider supporting us. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And uh, I think if that's all that we have, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Somebody was supposed to say thanks for listening. <coughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> you have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.